Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean Basin. I'm joined today with Dr. Carolina Lopez-Ruiz for a conversation about the Phoenicians, people that were indigenous to the Levant region, were known to be ahead of their time as seafaring people, and were the founders of the legendary city of Carthage. Today we're going to have a conversation about the Phoenicians settling in the Iberian Peninsula. The peninsula being uh, comprised of predominantly modern-day Portugal and Spain. Dr. Lopez Ruiz is Professor Department of Classics at The Ohio State University in the U.S. She's the author of many publications over the years on the Phoenicians, including co-editing the Oxford Handbook of the Phoenicians in Punic Mediterranean, eponymously published by Oxford University Press, and co-authoring Tertesos and the Phoenicians in Iberia, also published by Oxford University Press. Welcome to the call, Carolina. Thank you, Andrew. My pleasure to be here. So who were the Phoenician people? Right, that's uh, <laughs> the big question, right? So what, what we call Phoenicians, uh, we use the name that the Greeks assigned to this uh, group of people. Uh, the Romans called them Punics, right, or Punes. So it's really the same word. So Phoenician Punic is just the Greek and Roman name for uh, these people who lived in um, what would be today the coast of Lebanon, well, what would be Lebanon, Mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit to the north, a little bit to the south. Mm -hmm. So basically, you can say they are coastal Canaanites. They stem from the background of Canaanite groups, the Arameans, the pre, you know, Hebrews, right? Mm -hmm. they, they belong to that group, those groups. They have a language that is um, from the same family of languages, Northwest Semitic languages. And so they, they emerge um, kind of a, as a distinct people group in those cities along that coast uh, after the late Bronze Age, okay. after the famous collapse of the late Bronze Age. So in the early Iron Age, around the 10th century or so, we have the first Phoenician texts. And um, that's when people kind of shift from talking about Canaanites to talking about Phoenicians. When we talk about that area, it's a little bit, you know, a little bit of a convention because there's a lot of continuity with the earlier Canaanite world. Mm -hmm. So basically, Canaanites from that area who, in the early first millennium, um, set out and established a, a very big network of uh, you know, trade networks and colonies throughout the Mediterranean. So they, they span, expanded all over the place. Mm -hmm. So when scholars um, speak about Canaanites or Phoenician people, are they, is it believed that they're, ref they're referencing the same type of, the same people but in different eras? Pretty much. Uh, only Canaanite is a larger um, category. So um, when you say Canaanite, say, let's say we're referring to uh, from late Bronze Age, people that are also in North Syria, you know, like Ugarit, right? And um, you have that larger background that is not only the coastal area, but really all of Syria, Palestine, basically. They're Canaanite. Mm -hmm. There's a Canaanite culture, let's say, or cultural continuum, you know, with, from, from that background, from the late Bronze Age, you have, in the Iron Age, you have these more distinct groups emerging, you know, with their new states. And one of those groups are the Israelites, and they have these, you know, kingdoms, and then, you know, and then the Phoenicians have their own kingdoms, and the Arameans. So you have, you know, the Moabites. And 
So there are distinctions, but they all kind of emerge from that background. So canonize is a broader, uh, a broader term, but that's why I said, you know, Phoenicians would be coastal canonized from that area of the coast. So some scholars mm -hmm. actually are, are starting to use proto-Phoenicians <laughs> for the Bronze Age, for instance, when we are talking about Canaanites from that area. And, okay. you know, they're emphasizing more and more the amount of continuity between the Bronze Age and this, uh, these cultures of the Iron Age. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of an open question. There's a lot of lines there that are blurry. <laughs> okay, and to put um, uh, numerical, like cardinal years uh, to some of the ages. So when, when, uh, when you're referencing, when some, when a scholar references the end of the Bronze Age and then the start of the Iron Age, can you can you reference the the cardinal numbers? Right. So that would be conventionally around 1200 BC, mm -hmm. at the okay. end of the 13th century, early 12th century. So between then and you know, there's no one year, but as a convention, let's say around 1200 BC. Um, you have this collapse around that, you know, for about a century, this, uh, this empires that are receding, the Hittites, the Egyptians, you know, so then around the 11th to 10th century BC is when you have the emergence of this new, new configuration, right? Where you have the Israelites and the Phoenicians and the Armenians, and they, you start having uh, writing from them very soon showing mm. kind of distinct traces around 1000 BC. So that's when Phoenician, you know, inscriptions, maybe a bit earlier. Mm -hmm. That's more or less when they start picking up. Mm -hmm. um, how did the Phoenicians get to the Iberian Peninsula? <laughs> By boat. <laughs> it was, I, I actually really dislike asking leading questions, but I, <laughs> it's, it, but, but I still got to ask it, right? I still got to ask right. the question. <laughs> well, but it's, but it is, worth asking because you know you never know far away yeah yeah <laughs> so you yeah. know evidently they were uh, already very good at long distance sailing which is something that not everybody was doing at that time i mean people knew how to sail since you know the neolithic or whatever but <laughs> but they um they had they earned their reputation that they have later on for great sailors and innovative innovative you know um innovators in sailing mm -hmm. technology and shipbuilding technology and all that they, they were very famous for for that and it is you know in fact pretty amazing that they made it not only to the iberian peninsula through the mediterranean but they crossed the straits of gibraltar and they were they were trading and they were present in along the coast of um of the iberian peninsula up the coast of portugal probably around the 10th century already if not established with colonies they were there's evidence that they were already going back and forth and trading with the native peoples uh, in uh, you know at the other side of the straits and those are very difficult waters to navigate people who know about this kind of stress this enough that it is actually very dangerous and you have to know when to cross the straits, you have to know the currents, you have to know. So they had, how did they do it? Yeah, it's, well, we don't know, <laughs> but in part because thanks to their technology, in part probably thanks to uh, support network, um, economic support or whatever from their states, especially Tyre, the city of Tyre seems to have been behind 
this um, enterprise and also thanks to their networks with local groups we think and kind of tapping into local networks that gave them access to resources and to information even about where to go how to get there right what, what are you looking for where are you gonna get what you're looking for so so really it's a huge enterprise that required a lot of uh, technology but intelligence in terms of you know international intelligence if you know what I mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah mm -hmm. where was Tyre so Tyre is in, in Lebanon right so it's um, one of the southern Lebanese cities not far from the frontier with Israel so it's one of the southernmost cities uh, of Lebanon it's a, it's a city today you know yeah I was gonna say so probably the better question then is where is Tyre yes <laughs> So you mentioned, um, and I want to make sure I heard it correctly. Um, did you mention that uh, there's evidence of the Phoenicians uh, landing, uh, having some activity in the Iberian Peninsula as far back as 10th century BC? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's actually one of the most exciting things I think in the last um, couple of decades, especially that that have been happening in this field, is that thanks to archaeological discoveries, um, especially in the area of Huelva, which is, you know, like uh, west of Cadiz, like in the, you know, crossing the Straits of Gibraltar along the coast of Iberia, but between that and, and Portugal, so the city of Huelva, um, they, there was a discovery uh, that really has changed things a lot because they're, they're, it's a, a little, I cannot go on a lot about this, but um, it's basically a stash of materials. It's very difficult to excavate because they were mis they were it was like an emergency excavation. The materials were a bit mixed up. But long story short, um, the discovery of pottery from the 10th century that was matched with uh, Tyrian, right, Phoenician, well-established uh, Phoenician pottery from Tyre, and mm -hmm. so on, and even other little objects from Sardinia. Um, that helped dating, it was clear that, that the Phoenicians were reaching those shores in the 10th century, if not even before, but at least I'm, I feel sure saying 10th century. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so that, and then they have, there has been some, you know, there's been other materials from around that, that scenario from up up in Portugal. So there, there is materials around the area of, Lis of Lisbon. There are several sites there so so it's clear about your question of how they did this that there were it was a phased uh, process right that they would have been in contact and trading with native groups um in in those areas at least a century before they established and founded a phoenician city like Gadir, right mm -hmm. or carthage in north africa so when they did that they they knew what they were doing they were certain enough of their of their um, sustainability in, in in those regions to start building a city right and bringing more people over so they have been doing so we have gained a better picture uh, from these sorts of materials of that earlier stage some people call pre-colonization or pre-colonial but others say well that's not not a very helpful mm -hmm. <laughs> term let's just you know talk about earlier contacts. And uh, that is fascinating to think how they build that network before 
and then they they started building their own cities. So it's reasonable to think that they probably some or all of the settlers came from northern like the region in northern Africa. We it's it's very hard to know, but rather. Um, from, I mean, from indications of, of materials, as I said, pottery of the type produced in Tyre in, in Lebanon, and from, you know, the written sources tradition of colonization, the sources are much later, of course, but when you have sources about uh, the Phoenicians in the West, in Greek historians, or these resonances in the Hebrew Bible about Tyre's Western, you know, enterprises and all that, you know, the Hiram and all that. It's, you know, it sounds all very legendary, but there's actually something there. They point to Tyre, right? And with a combination of sources and archaeological material, it seems that Tyre was um, the main, maybe not the only, but the main, um, why would be the word, you know, the main kind of state support for that mm -hmm. or, or was giving the main impulse for that expansion now that doesn't mean that all everybody who arrived in Huelva or in you know in or founded that were coming from Tyre particularly because the Phoenicians had settled in the ninth century they had settled in Cyprus they had settled in North Africa in Carthage and Utica and other places they had settled in the coast of Morocco so you know by by, by, by some point they're picking up people along the way they could be joined by some Greeks or some Sardinians or some Cypriots. It's hard to, you cannot really know exactly who was where, <laughs> coming from where exactly, but mm -hmm. I want to stress that, I mean, people have different opinions, but I think the picture that is emerging in general gives um, a lot of prominence to the the impulse from, Ty from the city of Tyre. Mm. Yeah. And when they when they when they settle more permanently what approximately what what year approximately is that so along the lines of the what i was saying of, of uh, latest discoveries another very important discovery was in the city of cadiz um you know city of cadiz in spain that is by all means one of the most important phoenician cities in the west you know from we you know from tradition one of the only uh, accounts of Phoenician foundation um, is the one in Strabo that talks precisely about Tyrians, people from Tyre, found, how they went to found, uh, to, to, yes, to found and establish Gadir. He, he tells a story about how they followed an oracle and did three attempts until they could actually get it right and <laughs> get the right signs and then they settled there. Mm. So there's a whole story. Mm. So we know it was settled by Tyrians, who knows, you know, maybe joined by others, but he had a very famous temple of uh, Melkart or Heracles. But the point about the dating is that so far, archaeologists had not been able to find anything much older than the seventh century or so in the city, under the city of, Gad of Cadiz. Mm -hmm. If you have been to Cadiz, I don't know if you've been to Cadiz, it's, it's very densely populated, right? And it's all built up. Well, so so I was going to get to this this question, and I thought of it while we're, we're chatting. I've been to Cartagena, and uh, right, and, right. Uh, and so I want to kind of yeah, so I want to kind of lead into that. Um, uh, well, first of all, is it close, uh, Calif? Is it close it's to not, Cartagena? Not that close, no, because Cartagena no. is on the eastern coast. Uh, in what? Today? Where's Cal Yeah, where's Calif uh, in yeah. in Spain? Yeah, it's 
southeast, right? Whereas Cadiz is passing the Straits of Gibraltar, it's on the Atlantic. Oh, okay. yeah, uh, yeah, Cadiz, Cadiz, yeah, yeah, on the yeah. far so, far west side, yeah. Exactly, and that's why, I mean, it's key that they found what would be, you know, one of their main settlements um, there, um, and one of the earliest, which was on the Atlantic because they were very interested in, in very invested in, in trade uh, with uh, these people that uh, we call Tartes, as we can talk about that if you want, uh, in a bit, um, and trading in metals and all that, and those routes were go coming through the Atlantic. But the date of that, so after frustration over the decades <laughs> or over a century of not finding anything very early in Cadiz that would match the story, um, finally, like not too long ago, what, 10 years ago or so, or, or less, um, I could look up the day, but it, they mm -hmm. found a site. I mean, there was an emergency excavation in the center of the city and they could excavate this area, like a, like, let's say a block of a city. It's not huge, but they found the earliest layer of settlement with your nice buildings, like houses, walls, and the whole pavement, everything uh, from the late ninth century, okay. going for, to the, probably from the middle, the earliest part would be earliest, um, layer would be middle of the ninth century building up to the end of the ninth century so according to the um, tradition carthage was founded in 814 for instance right so these would actually match that the horizon of foundations at the end of the ninth century so now we know that 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 is when they were found in these cities and the dates for carthage more or less match that end of the ninth century as well uh, archaeologically now it seems so so really we're starting to put more pieces into the puzzle mm. and so you can go from the 10th century with say early contacts to the late 9th century for actual urban you know areas being built up as the uh i don't know if it's if it's uh only a legend as based uh perhaps as people have said Car cartagena was founded by people of carthage is that accurate based on evidence? Oh yeah, no, it's it's totally historical. Well, so that's a much later uh, foundation. And it was, I think, um, I mean, there were many Phoenician foundations along the coast of Spain. There were many, like some big ones, and then a lot of little settlements, uh, um, factories, harbors, you know, all of the coast, or the Costa del Sol, right? Mm -hmm. All of that, but mm -hmm. Cartagena, was a foundation by Carthage with the same name, Carthadash, it means new city. So mm -hmm. Cartagena was the new, new city <laughs> founded by the Barcai, that is Hannibal's, you know, uh, family um, to have, uh, to have a, a hub there that would be their base, their stronghold as they were expanding in the, into the Iberian Peninsula during the Punic Wars. So I think it was founded well, I haven't just looked this up right now, but I think it was founded after the First Punic War, in between that and the second. Okay. And in, in any case, if I'm wrong, um, in that it was around that time of expansion, and um, and uh, it became the it was the center of operations for Hannibal and you know and Hasdrubal during the Second Punic War for sure. So and then it became you know then it was Romanized and you have a beautiful Roman theater theater and mm -hmm. the whole thing. But yeah, it was kind of a mirror of uh, of Carthage, not 
too far off uh, across the sea, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. Um, what's known around this period of time, uh, circa 4th century to 9th century, what's known about the governance structure of these people in terms of you have what seems to be a prominent city in the Lebanon region, uh, Tyre. You have Carthage at uh, Carthage at some point. Were they were these uh, established municipalities part of this uh, part of one governance structure, or were they treated as separate uh, government structures? Mm -hmm. They were independent city states, as far as we as we know, and. So both in Lebanon and abroad. So the, in, in Lebanon, for instance, we know that there were four main um, states, city-states, and the model was of the city-state, I like think Athens or think mm -hmm. Sparta, right? They have a city and a territory around it, and the territory would include little villages or, you know, smaller, they would kind of absorb the territory uh, around with, uh, you know, agricultural land or whatever, and small villages. So the, the main cities from north to south were Arwad, um, Byblos, Sidon, and Tyre. So Tyre wasn't the only one, but it was for at different periods the, the kind of the most uh, the strongest one, also internationally. But mm -hmm. Sidon was pretty strong in the seventh century, especially seventh century BC. Uh, so the only time when there was a little bit of a bigger frame was. A lot of historians think that Tyre and Sidon formed a sort of single state for some period of time in the early first millennium. But that aside, let's think about them like that independently. And then Carthage was its own thing, independent city-state. Uh, Gadir would have been its own thing. So they were they had this this format, right? Um, now they were interconnected in not only culturally the same way that the greek city-states were you know they, they recognized each other as greek in terms that they had the same kind of religious system uh, same probably very similar institutions culture language all that mm -hmm. and then tyre particularly seems to have kept a strong bond with its main colonies carthage and, and cadiz and we know that from the cults they had from um, from material culture, you know, but also literary sources that talk about how the Carthaginians sent these tithes to, to Tyre or how they visited and sent envoys and, you know, these sorts of things, how the Tyrians or the Phoenicians refused to, to fight for the Persians against Carthage, according to one plan that there was because they were their children. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they did maintain, a, a, you know, um, symbolic at least and you know kind of ethnic i would say relationship and bond mm -hmm. um but they were politically independent does that answer it does yeah so is it believed based on evidence that the phoenicians first settled permanently in cadiz spain it's it's hard to tell if, if it is really where the first place where they settled in in iberia or not, or you know, or it's just the one that that flourished most uh, at some point, and therefore that's where you have more sources about it, and mm. it eventually became the main the main hub of Phoenicians in in Iberia. But there were other settled, other settlements of the same 
fairly the same period or a little bit after uh, along the coast of Malaga. So it's, you mm. know, it, we cannot really know for sure, like which ones, which one was first, but that one may have become early on um, kind of the principal one. Is there anything in the the writings that the Phoenicians left that might indicate their motivations? Like why why travel to begin with? And why travel so far? Why settle in the Iberian Peninsula? Is there anything out there that's evidential? That's very hard because we don't the type of of uh, written sources we have. Uh, for the Phoenicians, first of all, is very limited because their literature, for the most part, did not survive. Like there was no manuscript tradition, like like the Greeks or the Romans had. So basically, we, we have what we have is mostly transmitted through the Greeks and Romans. And then for the Phoenicians themselves, um, we have inscriptions, right? And inscriptions are usually not going to tell you, you know, that kind of historical information, right? Their royal inscriptions or their uh, funerary or their votive or Mm -hmm. So, so it's really hard to know, but we we do have, I mean, besides the archaeology, you have external sources, even if they are external. But the Greeks talk about, you know, the Phoenicians uh, abroad, and and then the Assyrians talk about the Phoenicians quite a bit. The, the Hebrew Bible talks about the Phoenicians. So, uh, from what what we, from a sort of reconstruction of what they may be doing, mm -hmm. seems that. Um, well, like almost every colonial kind of colonial enterprise or enterprise of settlement abroad or diaspora, there's economic, right? There's always an economic um, drive and component. So they are pretty clearly attracted to places or areas uh, that give them access to metal resources. Mm. And that is pretty evident uh, from where they go. So metal resources and then coastal, you know, good access to the coastal um, networks, so good harbors and and networking with um, people, you know, with native, let's say, indigenous people who can also give them access to, to, to their own internal networks, either for metal extraction or agricultural resources and, and that sort of thing, or even more exotic things like in the coast of North Africa, you know, we know that those networks give them access to to elephant, elephant tasks from which ivory comes and the Phoenicians are excellent ivory workers and they trade on it and there's a whole market for it. Ostrich eggs, which is even more weird, right? Also exotic material mm. and, and, and they, they, they also do this carve, make this carve ostrich eggs. I mean, maybe the other people are doing them too, but they seem to be involved in that trade. So this kind of networking, so, but the metals are very important and the tradition, written tradition, in fact, always connects Phoenicians with metal trade, right? Like they are, they're providing silver to the Assyrians and they're bringing, mm. um, they're obtaining tin in, in areas where tin is really hard to access. So there's Atlantic tin. So why are they settling in, in the Atlantic, right? Why not stay in the Mediterranean? Because that's where, you know, they are, they are connecting with teen mm -hmm. uh, extraction areas and teen networks that have been ongoing actually have been active since the bronze age and since earlier on by native groups right so they become kind of um not a they don't get a monopoly on on, on metal trade but they get 
pretty a pretty good grip on these sources, right? That explains a lot of their their success. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So what is known about uh, the Aboriginal people that would have been there prior to the Phoenicians settling? Do we know anything about them? Yeah, so in, in Iberia, like in other places, well, there were people living there. It wasn't like they arrived in an empty space. So that is also another area where uh, there's been a lot of, um, I think, a lot of advancement in trying, you know, in understanding, trying to understand better what's going on like mm-hmm. what what is the result of those encounters right it's so we are in a in a situation where you have you have a um fairly advanced civilizations or culture in the area we don't know how they were organized if it was you know more unified or less or just scattered groups or whatever but there were people there who already knew quite a bit about metal extraction and technology mm-hmm. They had, uh, you know, their own like pottery traditions and stuff like that. They had a fairly um, sophisticated material culture, but we don't have. Um, it's hard to track to track them very much because I think they were using mostly perishable materials for their, you know, building constructions and and for other things. So they did not have writing. For instance, they adopted writing from the Phoenicians, right? But they, you know, you can imagine some something along the lines of the European Bronze Age, what what is called, right? And so they had metals. It was they were not in the Stone Age, um, and they were organized in, you know, in in some ways they had places of, of areas of worship and so on. But they, it's so these people were organized enough, I think, to take advantage of what the Phoenicians are bringing to and 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 negotiating with them and so on. And then as soon as the Phoenicians start settling there, you can see the local peoples kind of appearing in the archeological record. Why? Not because they appear, but because they adopt a material culture that is more visible, more permanent, right? So they start building Hmm. stone buildings, right? And they start making more visible barriers and, and they have a richer material culture. So all of a sudden you have these, you know, these sanctuaries and, you know, and, and, and settlements that appear, and it's not because they come out of the blue, but again, because this situation of encounter produces a change in the local culture that kind of makes them visible. It's like throwing ink on a, I don't know, mm-hmm. on a paper yeah. that has invisible ink or something like that, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, do we get any sense of the number of uh, Phoenicians that would have settled in this area inside the context of trying to understand? Um, how many descendants would have would have occurred in that, that in the Iberian Peninsula? Diffi- yeah, sorry, that's a very difficult question. We have we don't know, but this has been discussed a lot in terms of Greek colonization, for instance, because you know the Greeks also settled a little bit later, right, in the, by the eighth century, all over Sicily, southern Italy, and so on. And pretty quickly, you have rather big settlements, right? And and there seem to be a lot of Greeks there, right? So in the, the same way, in, in southern Spain, pretty soon, over a century, you have a lot of little settlements all over the coast, right? And in North Africa, you have a lot. It's a whole string of settlements, bigger and smaller. So how do you populate, right? Are all these people coming from Lebanon? Surely not, right? So one, one 
one key element about this is that maybe the initial settlements is, are small, maybe they bring a few hundred people. And then, I mean, if they prosper, of course, more people join, but also more importantly, that they absorb, you know, the local population as well. Like, like they, mm. they mingle, right? I mean, they, as far as we know, um, you know, there might have been some conflict here and there. We don't know much, and we don't know almost anything about that. But it's clear that there is a process of um, hybridization, let's say, like cultural and, you know, um, just human, you know, you know, contact where people would intermarry. So they would, have, if they have resources and they have, they're giving trade opportunities, economic opportunities to the locals. The locals are gonna get drawn, drawn to the, to the coastal colonies, right, and settlements. So there is a, a pretty quick growth. Even if the growth is very quickly, it's a mixed population, let's say, right? I mean, like in mm -hmm. many of these situations. So it is mm -hmm. interesting to think about it that way. Then maybe, you know, to what degree somebody who is a Phoenician from Carthage or from Gadir is, uh, you know, a descendant only of Atirian. Well, they probably aren't. They probably are descendants of Iberian natives, let's say, as mm. well. And that doesn't mean they don't feel Phoenician or maybe they do feel both, you know, local. You know, there's a point where it's the issue of ethnicity and identity is just uh, very complex and, you know. But uh, there's been a, um, DNA studies of Phoenician remains here and there, and I, I can cannot get into that. But it's interesting, but always tricky too, because DNA in the end doesn't give you the clue to identity, because you know people don't really know their DNA. Most people don't <laughs> until mm. now, where we can do these tests, and your identity is not you know shaped by that usually, when, because you don't know it. So, but but some of these studies, um, for instance, of a guy from Carthage, the Bir Saman. Uh, from the seventh century, they they showed if they're correct. I'm not an expert on this, but for what I read, mm -hmm. that there were elements from the Levant, right? I mean, some part of his DNA seemed to correspond roughly to what to the, those traits, but also uh, Iberian, possibly or Western Mediterranean. I think it was kind of vague, like Western Mediterranean, um, you know, uh, strands, mm -hmm. whatever that means. So exactly what you would expect in any case. Right, mm -hmm. a mix uh, of of populations. So mm -hmm. that is that is how these colonies grow, and that's how colonies generally grow. Also, for the Greek colonies, I think the same uh, would hold that a small group of nucleus of uh, initial settlers can very quickly, if they prosper, form a large community. Yeah. I it's presumed it sounds like that there's descendants uh, from the Phoenicians in the Iberian Peninsula today. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> what has um, captivated you and, and um, kept you focused so much over the years on uh, the Phoenicians? I think that I like that there's such a puzzle, like in a sense, I mean, it's an exciting field because there is a lot of archaeological work being done. So there's new stuff, you know. Um, to to play with and to to keep reconstructing things. There's a lot of unanswered questions, uh, but also I like I like this um, I like how they are kind of very integrated in the whole Mediterranean, right? So by studying the Phoenicians, really, I mean you're studying the whole Mediterranean. You can mm. look at their interactions with others. They are very boundly 
very tightly bound with the Greeks and with the classical world and with the Romans. So I am a classicist, right? But mm. I don't know, it's, it gives me a different perspective of even what classics is, right? And, and of the classical world, but they are very tied through the written sources uh, with Greeks and Romans. So, mm. so, yeah, there's a little bit of everything there. They're both Semites, but also so Western, right? <laughs> and, and, and part of the history of, of these European countries and of North Africa. So I think they're just fascinating in that, in mm. that way. They're really connected with, uh, with so many fields and, uh, and areas and questions. And yet so many mysteries still about, about them. Certainly. Did you want to share your um, familial background to the Iberian Peninsula? Oh, <laughs> right. Well, I, I am a bit of a, yeah, of a mix as well, because I, you know, I, I grew up in Spain. My father is from Cordoba in southern Spain, mm. and I grew up in Madrid. But my mother is from Colombia, so, you know, in South America. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we have that kind of transatlantic <laughs> Um, family network and yeah but I, 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 I think I cannot deny that having grown up in, in Spain in a place where you can really see that contact between cultures that are you know near Eastern and Semitic you know you have, we have the, the Phoenician background the, the Jewish the Arabic uh, background mm-hmm. all in mm-hmm. there while Spain is so Roman as well and Visigothic mm-hmm. and European you know I think that you know everybody is somehow shaped by their you know their upbringing or what they uh, or their own culture, and I think that has probably made me more open, perhaps, to to look at these interactions. Yeah. And it's a wonderful um, area, the Iberian Peninsula. What are you? Uh, what are you working on these days? Right. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just finished and sent to, into production um, a book I've been working on for for many years, for at least four years in writing, but many more years in my head, uh, which is called Phoenicians and the Making of the Mediterranean. It will be published by Harvard University Press, hopefully within 2021, uh, if everything goes in schedule. And that is where I kind of pour like <laughs> everything, my background as classicist, as someone who works on Phoenicians, I, I discuss cultural uh, contact and the Iberians and the, all of these different people that interact with the Phoenicians. So it's a book about this period of this early phase, early centuries of the first millennium BC, mm-hmm. where the Mediterranean becomes so interconnected. And I look at it through the vector right, of the Phoenicians as, 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 as again, as this, um, this people and this culture that did so much to produce this connectedness from west to you know to east so that's yeah i hope uh, the Mm. readers will enjoy that when it uh becomes available carolina can you let me know and then i can update the episodes um show notes the on the associated sub page and drop a link to it for for people sure that would be wonderful (laughs) okay excellent carolina and everybody listening as always wishing you a marvelous journey Bye for now. Thank you so much. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.